Hi, I'm Rajoshi Dash and you're listening to Queerness and Storytelling in India. Today I have with me Pavel Sagol Sam who is a non-binary femme person and the co-founder of the Chinky Homo project that seeks to archive lived realities of queer people from northeast India. A queer feminist by practice and a vagabond by heart, Pavel finds themselves most calm when they're near water bodies, loves quirks, and takes pride in being a storyteller and a good hugger. They have worked with Center for Health and Social Justice, Breakthrough India, and Nazaria, a queer feminist resource group, on diverse concerns of gender equality, engaging with men and boys for gender justice, creating a safer and shared city for girls and women, youth empowerment, self-care and burnout, and LGBTQIA plus rights and inclusion. Through their work, they try to understand themselves and the community they belong to better. Pavel is a contributing author to In Plain Speak, a digital magazine of Darshi talking about reproductive and sexual health in India. Their most recent focus has been promoting leadership of Northeastern queer people and has spoken on the same for Godridge India Culture Lab 2019 and Transform 2020 and Chennai Queer Lit Fest 2018. Welcome, Bavel, to the podcast. I hope you have a good time here, although we are sitting in, let's say, a very hot <laughs> environment. Thank you, Rajachi, for having me. And yeah, it's the terrible weather here in Delhi. (laughs) So, um, I have always seen you as a passionate storyteller and someone who takes specific interest, as your bio also says, in gendered identities uh, from the Northeast and their place and negotiations in Delhi. How would you describe your uh, transition from, let's say, Manipur or other parts of the country um, where you may have traveled and seen to being in Delhi, where you have done so much of your work, both in research and activism. Would you call Delhi your home? Um, so as I mentioned in my bio, I'm quite a vagabond. And a vagabond, which I think sort of also relates to how I understand and embody trans transitioning as a process. Mm-hmm. And as uh, one of my very dear friend and also the co-founder of Chinku Homo Project, David, would observe about me and say to my face, David would ask me, when would your transitioning ever stop? <laughs> and I think it yeah. makes a lot of sense because for me, transition is not necessarily on the basis of um, expressing my gender identity, the, my chosen gender identity, or, um, you know, figuring, or basically feminizing myself and all of it, but mostly... I think I am someone who is very fluid, not in a lot of ways. Like for me, I just don't want to get stuck at one place. I just mm. want to keep moving on. So very early on when I was a kid, I knew that I'm somebody who has the aspirations to move out of the city or the place I was born. And um, and later on, I think uh, that also paved the way for my queerness to come out. Because um, the people, of course, my queerness comes from, it has its roots in Northeast, in Imphal, where I grew up. I'm still a very essential Northeastern or a Manipuri person 
for that matter but i think i find a lot of queerness in that like um you know um being close to nature is one part of it and also the kind of uh, diversity of um spaces that i embodied and experienced and lived in when i was a kid i'm talking about like having found a sense of connect with the world and the nature in water bodies because i used to love to swim when i was mm-hmm. a kid and i'm talking about ponds and all not mm-hmm. pools and stuff like that um growing up in a part of this country which was also f- fairly removed from development i think has um also added a sense of queerness to me because it definitely puts you on um a lifestyle which is mostly based on needs and survival and i think that sort of like keeps you open to possibilities and uh when i say possibilities that can be fairly equated with the word opportunities mm-hmm. like ways to sort of like evolve that mm-hmm. way um yeah so manipur was a really lovely place i would say although it's very homophobic and transphobic uh, in a lot of ways uh situations have changed now but it was very homophobic and transphobic so despite being a place where i was getting whatever i wanted to i mean for my soul like close to nature lots of trees i used to love climbing trees um you know like not having i mean one thing i really missed about my childhood is that whenever you want to have some like for example fruits you can just mm-hmm. go climb a tree and then pluck yeah. it and eat it right <laughs> there uh so it's kind of things i do miss but i guess one of the things that put, that that put in the inspiration for me to get out of home was um was a need to find a space where i can explore my sexualities mm-hmm. my sexual orientations my kinks my desires and also a space where i can express myself the way i feel so the reason why i was folk like i am not I had good records of education when I was a child but mm-hmm. that was not necessarily because I was person who was after knowledge mm-hmm. it was to just make myself because one thing I was born in a low middle class family mm-hmm. and who has also like a, a low middle class family and uh, and I knew that my family do not have as much resources from me and also i i growing up as a queer child I think this is something that a lot of people can also relate with whereby um one always have a second guess before claiming any entitlements that one feel one is entitled to so as a young as a child i i was among the three of us i was uh i'm the youngest despite being the youngest i was the least um i was the, i was the child who was asking for least maintenance hmm. you know because i think being shamed for being effeminate and um a lot of things for which i was called weird and um unlike everyone so i think that kind of shame um uh, was internalized very early on in my life so i wouldn't necessarily i would hesitate a lot before really asking for something from my parents like for me for them to buy a clothes for me mm. or for them to buy a toy for me you know but there were certain things which was considered as basic like education right and food um so it was only on the line of education that i feel like i can actually where i also didn't feel any guilt or any shame toward asking for their support 
So, and also one more thing is I wasn't so, I couldn't really find a sense of connectivity in terms of desires with the people around me. Um, there was a lot of sense of comfort, not comfort, a sense of support, which is there in any family, in there in any community, any locality where you're born. But I really couldn't find somebody to connect with. And that was also the reason why I um, loved movies, TVs, TV serials, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was like how I was trying to find me in various other cultures or, you know, that way. So what makes uh, what makes Delhi different? Uh, because I've also, I mean, I also see Delhi as a place which is kind of very violent in some ways, and can be very transphobic, can be very, um, let's say, uninhabitable. Or what's the what's the word? Like, but basically, you cannot live here without struggling constantly for survival, right? Mm. So how would you say Delhi? is different and I'm sure you have found something in Delhi that's the reason you are staying here right my actually that is uh, you will be surprised Rajarshi because my answer is going to be complete opposite of it Uh I feel stuck in Delhi there was a reason why I came to Delhi Uh for me Delhi is not home Delhi is a work workplace Uh yeah so my first home is northeast Manipur as Mm -hmm. I told you how much like I can keep on going and talking about my experience there I I have a very deep sense of um, melancholy mm-hmm. and uh, I think very early on like even before I moved out of that place when 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 I see as a child I was something that I was very curious of is like how am I doing in terms of educations and aptitude on that mm. level because as I said that was the only ticket of ticket for me out of that place you know a, a prospect right. for better studies a better career better future was the only things for which I can fight my escape from that place so very early on this dilemma about leaving like the melancholy the love of that place at the same time this urge to also leave that place mm-hmm. uh, I've been dealing with a dilemma for a very long time I think it also fits into my sense of queerness I guess of being there but also not there mm. you know of being driven apart by yeah. two things which are still very intimate to you you know family and, and desire uh, society but also like your own desire again at the time mm-hmm. huh so so I was fa- like when I was in 10 standard my 10th board exam when I did come out with good marks that was my first victory I feel I mean I felt so good at the time because I was like oh that means I think I'll be able to make it out of this place by the time I finish my high school mm-hmm. and uh, so I had a very so I knew that every moment I was living there was a memory I was creating it mm-hmm. never felt like creating a life because I always felt like my life is gonna be somewhere else my life hasn't begun my life will begin somewhere else when I will find my freedom so I went to Baroda for my graduation where I studied linguistics and Baroda is my first second home for that matter because in Manipur I've got a sense of belonging that's why it's a home but Baroda where, where was where I was able to be myself and um, not completely so but then being away from family, being away, surround, I mean, I was on my own and I had to basically strategize and plan my life, my lifestyle, everything on my own. That freedom was incredible. So that's why Baroda is really like, uh, is my second home. My third home was Hyderabad when I went there for my master's in applied linguistic and translational studies. 
the reason why Hyderabad is my third home is because that is where I found my community. Mm. So first thing is belongingness, then comes my sense of freedom, and then finding my community, a community where I can be myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also happens among a group of people who were not necessarily homosexual. One of them were bisexual. Among like 20 of us, only one person was bisexual. I was a closeted person <laughs> at the time. But at one year of being together, there was such a lot of queerness among us. And I'm not, I'm talking about queerness from the sense of somebody who questions conventions, right. who questions traditions, uh, who is willing to look for, like, who is always in the quest for alternatives, you know, who is not really just happy with just giving an answer, who would like to still ask questions even after giving an answer, you know, where questioning never stops. And uh, that was the loveliest part of it. I think it is where, it is there that I could see the, the dissonance that I've been feeling with the narratives around me, uh, the cultures around me, uh, you know, like uh, uh, a place where I can finally like express it and say, hey, do you also feel the same? Do you mm. also feel like you're, you know, whatever that you've been hearing around yourself is basically a farce, a lie, and you really are after a certain truth and you would do anything to sort of like get that truth. So that's where I found my sense of community. And I'm glad that my sense of queerness was not necessarily to do with homosexuality or mm. uh, gender nonconforming, but on that level. Uh, but also that's the place where I came out mm. and I also started my activism from Hyderabad. Wow. And I'm also very glad that my journey of activism started from a city who has its own queer legacies in a lot of ways. It had its own, we, when we talk about the present queer movement, it has its presence there. Mm-hmm. But it was also not overwhelmed with all, all of these practices. And it had, uh, and, um, and when I came out there, um, I reached out to a few spaces, few people who were trying to create some groups. Uh, they were already some groups who were going, having like uh, weekly meetings and all of that. But yeah, things just fell right in place at the time because there was this three other, no, four or five of us who were like really young and in university spaces and willing to work on it. And when this people from the city met us, it was almost like um, finding new synergy for something that they had been doing before. You know, they did it when they were young and now they were into profession, they were setting up their career, so they really couldn't focus on it. The youth energy was missing and suddenly there is Teja from Hyderabad itself. Um, then I was there, then Akshara, Akshara was there, um, Sumi was there, Danish was there, and um, Jordan was there. So us coming together sort of like re-brought re- that synergy back and we did a lot of uh, work together. And um, at the time I felt very inadequate. I felt like, oh, so many things are happening in bigger cities like Bangalore, you know, like um, Kolkata, Delhi and Mumbai. And I feel really removed from the queer movement that was happening. And I guess that is where I started making plans for Delhi. Yeah, because that's also, it was during that time that I also was somehow getting more and more drawn towards cultural studies Mm -hmm. and feminism and queer studies and all of that. So somehow I, on that path only I dropped linguistics and translational studies, Mm -hmm. although it remained as a passion in me, but my focus on it sort of went away. And then um, prior to that, it was mostly, as I said, a focus on something that I will be good at, which will help me sustain. But I think I've driven on that for long enough to have, come to a place where I can finally drop that and get on my real exploration of myself 
mm-hmm. and the journey that I want to do for myself. So that's when I dropped it all. And Delhi made the perfect sense for me because when I looked out for any universities uh, who has anything to do with queerness, um, there wasn't any university. And I also didn't want to go to go to women's studies, you know. So Ambedkar University had gender studies mm-hmm. and it I felt like the okay? um even in my understanding of my sexual orientation and sexuality I also need, really need to unpack my gender because I've always felt very gender fluid ever mm-hmm. since I was a kid um and that way I've also I felt so but I never did holy identified as a trans woman mm-hmm. and I also wanted to question why why is that I don't feel like a man but I also don't feel completely like a woman and that has been a mystery in my head for a long time so why do you think why do you think it's that because this is a question which i always kind of which bothers me let's say like what is the difference between identifying as a trans woman and just saying that i'm non-binary and i'm here not just referring to the way in which the word trans has been uh enjoyed or kind of has been used as a as a homogeneous identity you know and an identity that others have to identify with in order to get funds and uh, resources but i'm also thinking what is it that non binary as a term offers or some people also use the term gender queer offers that trans does not do you have any thoughts on that yeah so by then as i said i was also very new to all of this and it was just about having found a community who sort of identifies um and who share the same sort of desires or whose orientations were similar or the kind of things that they're questioning in life and the kind of aspirations they have in life were similar but they were more informed about all of this than me because all of them come from the background of social studies where i was coming from something as technical as linguistics so um so by so talk about then why why i did not feel so comfortable with uh identifying myself as a trans was because to think of a layman's perspective when they think of trans again it is a very boxed category right so trans also works in a very binary pattern right when you say you are a male bodied person but you identify as a trans the next thing that person imagines is that you want to you are aspiring to be a woman and the kind of women they have in their head is again the binary women mm-hmm. the same goes the other way around for trans masculine persons as well so so yeah so that was my first question about how about why is this so why am i uncomfortable identifying with a trans with the trans women and at the same time i'm not comfortable with my own gender uh which was assigned to me at birth and that's why delhi made a perfect sense for me because here is the, the movement is here and i see that delhi movement is very theory based and it's very political at the same time there is a lot of like discourse on queerness that that was there in delhi sort of um appealed to me because i felt like it was something very academic yeah. so it was i mean it was easier for me to understand that mm-hmm. um uh, and then So I took up that's why I made my move to Delhi to study gender and from gender to sort of like go for uh, to uh, to study gender and then to meanwhile as I study gender to link myself with all of these discourses and movement and spaces which is basically trying to explore assert queerness and then make a sense of it. Mm-hmm. 
and to talk about non-binary this is a term that i came across in 2000 and around 2018-19 um i think prior to that um i used to take refuse and refuge in in words like gender queer gender fluid you know but but when non-binary when i came across non-binary it made a lot of sense in me because i realized that my sense of transness is basically the root of it is this what we call as fomo fear of missing out i wanted mm. to be of both the worlds yeah. i don't want to be fixated in one world but you know my desires my orientations could be at one point placed at a certain locations but i don't want to be restricted in that theoretically mm-hmm. so i want to keep my myself open to changes and yeah so i might find comfort in some because i was like future is not so certain what if 10 years down the line i mean i see people falling in and out of love i see people changing their style statement every now and then so i was like well this is what life naturally is uh-huh. so i'm not going to burden myself with unnecessary thoughts of being tied to one space and desire and reality and mm-hmm. say this is what's going to be for me for the rest of my life mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean that explains a lot of things although for me uh, hyderabad would be a little more i don't know both academic but also has like you said earlier has a long history of the telangana movement and then a uh, lot of trans um, hijra intersex you know people coming together with other uh, marginal voices and and fighting the battle so it's for me it's amazing and something which i haven't seen in delhi so much of course i have i mean the ca protest uh, was a different uh, scenario where so many people came on to the streets um, but when it comes to exclusively like the academic queer scene it's slightly I don't know what is the word here it's it's only a few people you know it's centered around a few people and that's it which actually brings me to my question about your uh, activism um, I remember that you had come you were part of this panel that we had in JNU that was I think the first event of Hasrate uh, the gender the queer collective of JNU and um, we also had a discussion whether or not to have a trigger warning for the term because of how it's used by a lot of mainlanders so what can you tell us a little bit about the chinky homo project and your association with other queer organizations in delhi <clears throat> yeah so talk about my activism or it also i mean i think um as i said like my journey was that of exploring myself and that comes with a lot of unlearning mm-hmm. and and basically what do you call that like peeling myself off layer by layer mm-hmm. and as i got into the community i spoke off in hyderabad when it was happening on a practice level every day i also came across feminism in one of my cultural studies class and uh as i understand feminism it was mostly to do with being critical mm-hmm. critical and critiquing as a way to sort of undo myths and get the truth out 
so so the process of exploration itself was critiquing myself in many ways um you know like trying to just question myself why am i like this what informs my practice what informs my belief and uh questioning like my own conditionings and all of it and that's my sense of queerness and uh particularly the reason why the chinky homo project is named as such because one thing is um had i been so comfortable with whatever my belief was i don't think i would have been able to really understand myself the way i do now mm-hmm. where i have really peeled off a lot of influences that was not necessarily my own but imposed on me mm-hmm. similarly there are certain words which uh which are so called derogatory within codes and there has been some politics and discourse around it but not really unboxing it or deconstructing it where it comes from what is the actual history of that word you know what what could be the various interpretation of that word you know how could various people embody that word so there is one narrative to chinky that i would say there are like two narratives to chinky the word chinky where um it is either offensive it is very either offensive but in my own in my own when i look at my own ways of standing up to that kind of a bully that was directed mm-hmm. to me i felt that to feel offended when somebody uses it would be to give that person more power okay yeah and then um i won't say reclaiming it but i was like why would i be ashamed when somebody called me out for who i am what mm-hmm. i am mm-hmm. and so as a queer as a chinky mm. to me is the same mm-hmm. so for a queer i guess if i'm proud as a queer i can't be a, a, a proud chinky also mm-hmm. and i did come across a couple of people in my life who felt the same mm-hmm. and having found three people who felt the same was enough for me to tell myself oh you're not alone and this can be an alternate way of being around this word chinky mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, homo the same with homo again right because it's a slur in northeast india it's a big slur yeah. and people just put a homo tag on you and there's a, all the myth about homo just come and sit on your soldier and you're trying to shake it off for the rest of your life and uh yes that judgment which basically made chinky an offensive word which is punishable by law you know yeah. and the whole discourse around uh you know transphobia and homophobia which also basically like puts a certain um negative <clears throat> um which also sort of calls out this act of shaming somebody by calling them a homo is there and i'm not trying to discount that we are not trying to discount that when we pick up the same name same terms for a chinky homo project what we are just trying to do is basically to observe the fact that people's imaginations and ideas the popular imaginations and ideas around these two words has been stuck and it remains there despite having the law against it despite having despite this despite this like movement or momentum that's building to do away homophobia and transphobia and uh, and for me queerness is also not about reclaiming something but also to um also to do with diversity and alternatives whereby why just one meaning to a certain word um why limit the meaning in that way also and this is when the this is where my linguistic pers- like the linguist that i am is kicking in in terms of my activism whereby i'm like why meaning is so limited because we have 
the idea of metaphors, we have the idea of anaphorisms, and so many other ways in which language plays in itself, whereby meanings are multifold, and mean, new meanings are created every day. Mm -hmm. Why not do that with such words? Because, um, because I know I have faced the brunt of these two words, you know, the, what happened with these two words, like the law that came up, or uh, the chinky as an abuse, or homo as an abuse and homo being reclaimed. It was all in my past. It was not my current reality. But because it has not been addressed, because there hasn't been discourse around it, because things has been silent around it, mm -hmm. but it remained in people's mind and it comes and affected me. And I know that it's going to come and affect the, a lot of other young people as well. And this also links to my Northeastern identity and being a Northeastern in mainland India. Because I think my biggest battle in mainland India has been to fight all those myths around me. Where I think why I came out of Manipur was to be able to prove myself as a person. Because when you are still embedded in the culture you're born in, mm -hmm. what, you're doing is what you're doing is reiteration of your culture to claim that sense of belonging, mm -hmm. right? But when I have taken this self-exile, you know, it is a self-exile, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I would love to be with my parents who will accept me. I would love to be in a community where I was born into. I've been there for 20 years of my life. There's a deep sense of bonding. But why am I risking that sort of bonding and support and coming out of that place? Be that's a self-exile I'm putting on myself because I see some benefit in it. Because I also want to know myself. I want to prove myself to the world as myself. So when you say uh, self-exile, do you see the project or other, um, let's say, queer spaces here that you work with or you engage with as spaces um, that care for you or that could be spaces for self-care? Because I remember reading uh, one interview where you talk about cooking and gardening as ways in which you often take care of yourselves or took care of yourself during uh, the COVID, especially like the peak, you know, times of COVID, uh, the pandemic. So I was wondering, are these spaces of self-care or do you feel that you have to uh, like take the burden of sort of setting an example for others or at least helping others, you know, like this, the project essentially caters to people from the Northeast, queer people from the Northeast. So do you feel when you say the self, were, were the phrase self-exile, do you feel that pressure? Pressure. Um, I don't, I couldn't really understand what the, what pressure would mean here, but yes, Chinky Homo, Pro, Chinky Homo project is my, me, my homecoming. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've been on exile uh -huh. in Baroda. I was on exile. But a self-imposed exile, you know, I'm also not saying, trying to blame it all on the society and everything, but I'm trying to say it was a conscious decision. I'm claiming my own decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm not also trying to, I also don't want to be the victim all the time. I know the certain decisions of mine are driven by certain circumstances, but I'm not going to give all the power to them. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to claim my agencies and my decisions. That's why I'm calling it self-exile. I think that exile, again, you know, like nobody just goes on exile yeah. just like that. But I'm claiming my agency there when I'm saying self-exile. So Baroda was a self-exile, but also a space of learning. And hence, I found a bit of home there. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Hyderabad was also self-exile. But again, I found a, sense, a lot of other things I found. I could find certain sense of belonging there. So I think Chinky Homo Project is where it all culminates. Because the diaspora in me 
and also the Northeast and Roots and me can come together and basically have a conversation in Chinky Homo Project. Mm-hmm. It's a digital anthology project of queer narratives from Northeast, you know. And at the same time, in Chinky Homo Project, I'm also able to place myself amidst other people's narratives as well. So it also forms that network of narratives where I'm placing myself. And so, I should add uh, that it's a beautiful uh, website. I think it's on WordPress, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. do people who haven't checked it out should check it out. It's beautifully curated. Sorry to didn't interrupt. Yeah. yeah. And thank you so much, Rajarsi, for that. We do need a lot of followers. Um, please do check out the content. Yeah, so, um, you know, like, yes, um, the queer spaces that I have been to, in and out of Northeast, I have always found a sense of belonging, but there is also always a sense of dissonance with them because of certain differences, you know, mm-hmm. be it in political aspirations, be it in terms of the social conditioning and hence your um, idea or sense of desires and preferences, you know, um, like to give an example, like in North India, people are more of a roti, like people are uh, the, roti and rice. You know, mm-hmm. this could, this can also become a big a bit dissonance. But but I've not really paid a lot of attention to it. I this spaces that I've been with, the various collectives that I've been with, I have inhabited those spaces for wherever whatever spaces that I've in, inhabited. I do have a sense of belonging there. But I think what I also picked up was also on the dissonance. I think it's very important to also tap into that part of me. So, which the dissonance made me, give me this urge to know myself more, you know? Yeah, and I like that challenge. I think that is what drives me forward. What is going to be my next quest in life? Um, comfort. What is, what is your next quest? My next quest in life is basically to become the artist that I always wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But I I don't have certain classical artistic talents. But I think I'm creative. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy that at this present day, there is something called the digital medium. And... Um, and I think, uh, as I said, there has been a lot of exploration I did. There has been a lot of learnings I did. But, but I also don't want to leave this world without having said all of it. Mm. And now I want to focus on saying it, letting it out. And um, yeah, uh, I think I've also have had that fair bit of training on political correctness, politically, political correctness of having, being part of uh, I won't really take up a lot of space in movement and the queer spaces mm-hmm. because I think my association with them has not been being wholly submerged in it, but being part of it because I felt some resonance with them at the time. And I've been that kind of a person. I'm very commitment phobic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I've, yeah, political correctness and so many things that I have learn about how the world works is is it uh, is political correctness a good thing or a bad thing or maybe something in between and i'm thinking when you say political correctness are you referring to um, a specific instance a specific like some kind of resistance that you face and this will be my last question because we are nearing uh, 40 minutes yeah political correctness 
is a good thing to aspire for. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to guide you for mm-hmm. because that really allows you to open up your senses and your minds to various other perspectives. And not just that, but also teach you how to be sensible and sensitive to them. Mm-hmm. But when it's imposed as a norm around you, I think it really restricts a lot of things. Because I also believe in making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Very important, you know, like to make mistakes or room to make mistakes. Um, I This takes me back to my to my linguistic classes of acquisitions, social norms and... Uh, perspectives are acquired, you know, so it is not just something which is inherent, but many many of them are learned and mistakes are a big part of learning and to room to commit mistakes also allows you to be, because I think without a room to mistakes, then the same thing goes on, right? So when you allow us, like when you, when you also sort of like loosen the shackle of political correctness at certain point of a time, I think it also allows for more voices to come out. Uh, say for example me and you Rajarsi we agree on something yeah. but I think uh, where is the space of creativity when both of us are supposed to our political correctness are supposed to be aligned in the in 100% hmm. but if we are given that space whereby yes our, we can be similar but our, 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 our beliefs do not have to be completely aligned perfectly aligned that leaves for uh, alternative ideas, alternative perspective, alternative practices yeah. around the same thing. So somebody could be making podcasts around gender and sexuality issues. Another person could be making videos on it. Another person can be doing trainings. All of these alternative practice practices uh, is enabled when mm. that political correctness is also loosened to a certain sense. Yeah. So I know I I would like to be have that wisdom to know where. To be politically correct and and abide by it in the absolute sense, but at the same time, I would also like to have that wisdom to know where and when can I play with it. Yeah, yeah. And I think playing is such an important part of that growth uh, of of just your queerness or what you think is queerness, right? Because I think often what we think is politically correct is often used by especially, you know, very like well-read academicians to, in a way, stifle resistance or, or questions. Yeah, it's one thing if I end up hurting someone, because in my case, especially a caste privilege of works in a big way but it's another thing when um, you know people who are above you or you know people from academia who are trying to kind of tell you what to do what not to do because there is this is how it should be done or this is how the movement should grow and that I think becomes a problem yeah something I want to add in there which I'm so glad you brought it up because for me um Mistakes and forgiveness goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, I, sometimes I question the movement that I have aligned myself with, whatever thoughts and beliefs that I've aligned myself with. And my question to those beliefs are, if there is no forgiveness in it, mm-hmm. and if there is no forget, if I can't, if yeah. there is no space for, to forget and yeah. to forgive, then, yeah, then I also, yeah, I think it's very important to have the space to forget and to forgive. Mm-hmm. Otherwise... How do we move on to that space of harmony and peace yeah. and well-being that all of us want to go ahead? Uh, 
it remains as a baggage you yeah. know yeah 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 i mean as long as there is justice there can be peace obviously uh, and i'm referring to the popular black lives matter slogan no justice no peace i think that's a good note to end uh, the podcast thank you so much pavel for taking out time in this heat and by the way we don't we are not i had to ask pavel to switch off the ac and the fan because i had a lot of trouble editing uh, an interview that i taken earlier where the ac was on so we are all sweating now and hopefully we'll can switch on the ac now thank you yes we're all wet <laughs>